0: did you ever see the tv special it came out a few years ago and it was called something like pan and it was a two-parter and it was telling the story imagined where um peter pan and um captain james t hook were uh people from london (laughs) well don't you know that's his middle initial
1: really everybody are you sure you're not getting confused with james t kirk Welcome to episode thirty one of the Movie Bite Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, February thirteenth, twenty thirteen. I'm your host, TJ, and I'm joined by my co host, the Pirate Captain, Joe Darnell. Good evening.
0: How are you, TJ? I'm good. How are you? I'm feeling pretty good. Having a scotch here.
1: Excellent. Well that'll that'll make the podcast go more smoothly, I reckon. Hmm.
0: Yeah, what are you having?
1: Uh, I have my trusty uh, water right here uh, to help me wet my whistle.
0: Hmm. Good. Do Do you use crystal springs or the sink?
1: You know, actually, here in Tennessee, we have uh, lots and lots of freshwater springs just all around us, and uh, I like to go down to the nearest spring and uh, fill up several bottles of water and bring them home and put them in the fridge. And that's wow, what I. That's is what I drink. So
0: that is so American of you.
1: Yeah, wow. I thought, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah,
0: very Tennessee of you too. Huh. Deep in the heart of Tennessee.
1: Yes. No, I enjoy it. I, I like uh, I I'm, I'm so spoiled. You may have noticed I often bring water if I come down to visit you. Yes. And uh that's because I like my Tennessee spring water. I really do. Huh. So we're we're probably boring our people. They they came here to hear about films, not about water and Tennessee and Powder Springs, Georgia. But
0: our lives are the stuff that make up wonderful movies.
1: Well, sure. I mean, yeah, we you just got to go with that.
0: We're just giving we're just giving okay. the screenwriters that listen to our show great material.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. All right, you ready to get started?
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Let's see what we got here. Uh, First thing in our show outline, I wanted to talk about Portal and Half-Life films being developed by J.J. Abrams. And I'm so irritated because I just noticed a typo in my headline that I hadn't noticed before.
0: Well, hey, you want to work on that? I'll go ahead and tell people about it. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Slash Film reported that while Star Wars continues to dominate much of the conversation about big-ticket sci-fi film, the outcome of the DICE keynote talk uh, featuring filmmaker J.J. Abrams and Game Master Gabe Newell of Valve Software was even more stunning. The two were likely to collaborate to make games and movies together. The stated movie interests are adapt- adaptations of popular Valve games Portal and Half-Life. Now, I've heard of Portal. I've seen uh, walkthrough or playback videos, whatever you call those.
1: Wait, whoa, 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 You haven't played Portal?
0: I, it, and it's not for not reading your
1: review. Oh, you haven't played Portal. Oh, my goodness. The next time I'm down there, you have to play Portal.
0: I know. It's in my bucket list.
1: Oh, Portal is awesome. I just awesome. haven't got to it. Portal is, okay, so I don't know much about Half-Life. I think it's a little bit more of a first-person shooter kind of game, a little more violent and, and that sort of thing. And, and it's fine. I, mean, I don't have a problem with that as far as that goes. I mean, obviously, I watch some pretty violent films. I'd be kind of a hypocrite if I did. I, it's just not really my thing. But Portal, on the other hand, Portal is set in the same universe as Half-Life, I believe. I don't know, like I said, I don't know as much about Half-Life. But, um, it really doesn't have much to do with Half-Life. It's, it's a first-person game, but y- essentially you shoot portals, uh, a red one and a, or a, a, an orange one and a blue one. And if you go through a blue one, you come out the orange one and vice versa. So you could shoot a portal over here. And then you can shoot one in a place you can't get to and you can go through it and, and that sort of thing. And I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's it, the essentials of Portal. It's a really fun. It's a puzzle game. It's really fun. You know, and there's, and there's plot to it. In fact, I enjoyed Portal 2 a whole lot more than the first one. And that's not because the first one was bad. It's just that it was a much bigger and better game.
0: So, well, I believe it. Uh, from what I heard um, through Stu, one of our other guys our other guests, he's a big Portal fan. Yeah, And he convinced me to download the um, the install software from the uh, the developers called Steam, is it? Yes, uh, you, the
1: developers uh, yeah. are Valve, actually. And they, they have Valve? an application called Steam.
0: Ah. In which okay, you, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you can portal <laughs> the games down into Valve and play them off of your Mac or PC. So I got Valve when it was, uh, or Steam when it was free. <laughs> and and it looked uh, it looked pretty good. It just, I don't have the time. But man, it looks really fun. I, you know, when my kids are little, a little older and I can kick back, you know, in the recliner and say, "Kids, here, play Portal for me. Let's see. Well, let's see the action at play." You know, then that's probably what I'll end up doing. Yeah. Because until that they take an interest, I just can't excuse taking the time to uh, figure out those kinds of puzzles. To be honest, I'm no, I'm no good when it comes to puzzles.
1: Mm, it's your loss, dude. It is. Well, the About interesting, is. yeah. Go ahead. ahead. Well, the well, interesting thing say, here but- is <laughs> that uh, we're making a movie out of this thing, or apparently Portal and Half-Life, J.J. Abrams, is uh, collaborating with Gabe Newell of, of Valve Software to make a movie, and it, it's interesting because Portal especially, and I think Half-Life 2, have pretty intricate and involved plots as far as the setup for why you're doing the things you do, uh, especially Portal 2. Um and so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Uh, I, I, I'll be fascinated. I'm not sure that it's good movie material, but I'll certainly be fascinated to see what, uh, you know, what happens.
0: Uh, okay. Well, next up in the side items, we have the story that the legendary Star Wars makeup artist has passed away.
1: Yeah, um, this was sad news. I mean, this is the guy that's that's uh, behind uh, the makeup and, and the creation of Chewbacca. Uh, he had a lot to do with the creation of Yoda. Uh, I mean, he was uh, you know Stuart Freeborn. He was the makeup artist that had a lot, so much to do with Star Wars, and uh, he passed away. I posted the link on Friday, so it was after last week's podcast. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. So uh, it is
0: noteworthy you know. for film and the annals of film. But uh, thankfully, he died an old man, and uh, he oh, was sure. 98. yeah, definitely. So, I'm not
1: saying you know it was yes. not unexpected or anything, but at the same time, you know, it's it's notable. Like this is the guy. Uh, I mean, what would the world be without Chewbacca? <laughs>
0: right. And it's some of the best costume design. Yeah. Uh, unparalleled. To date. Yeah. Uh, you I, know, I mean, this you is just th- can't pull that kind of thing off.
1: This is before the age of CG, right? I mean, yeah. he was creating things that we now do, like everybody does with CG, even <clears throat> George Lucas, uh, instead of doing it for real. And he does it, he did it, and he does it, or he did it for real. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's going to be missed.
0: yeah it said here on the link we have from the guardian he brought with him not only decades of experience but boundless creative energy uh that was a quote from lucas for that's worth his artistry and craftsmanship will live on forever in the uh, the characters he created his star wars creatures may be reinterpreted in new films by new generations but at their heart they continue to be what stewart created for the original films (laughs) <laughs> I love that quote because it's like Spielberg. I mean, uh, Lucas is just, uh, he's such a hypocrite, Yeah, <laughs> but, but he's, he's admitting that the, you know, these costumes can outdo his, uh, his, you know, special effects and visual stuff. But yeah, there you go. I mean, Chewbacca is far more iconic than Jar Jar Binks any day.
1: <laughs> you think? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, you- but uh, it's worth saying. Cause I mean, think about the difference between, Classic Yoda and CG Yoda. Yeah, you have Stuart Freeborn's Yoda, and you have some CG animators Yoda. It's just it's it's a night and day difference. No matter how um, sophisticated the CGI work could be, Stuart Freeborn's con- contribution was just out of this world. And yeah, and I'm so glad he made those characters for us. Can you imagine? what they would have had to have done with a lesser talented designer than Stuart Freeborn. I I, Uh, I, I just can't No, I can't imagine. It would have been sad.
1: He he also was known for his work, I guess with Kubrick. I'm not uh, as big of familiar, you know, with Kubrick films and not a huge fan, but, uh, you know, he did a lot of work with that. Um, he, you know, he's, he's just, he's well known in, in the makeup world. Uh, Mm. Irvin Kirshner also in the article on the guardian had a, a lot of good words to say, apparently, um, I mean, obviously, Kirshner is uh, – I don't believe Kirshner is with us anymore. It says, Lucasfilm said Irvin Kirshner, who directed The Empire Strikes Back, would note that Freeborn quite literally put himself into Yoda as the Jedi Master's inquisitive and mischievous elfin features had more than a passing resemblance to Freeborn himself. Yoda's looks were also said to be partly inspired by Albert Einstein. Uh, yes,
0: so. I can see that. We're gonna to have to put a link in the show notes Oh, a Yes, the link Freeborn.
1: is already in the show notes. The show notes uh for this episode are moviebite.com slash MB podcast slash thirty one. Good. Oh, there you go. Yep, that's in the show notes. So notable.
0: Yeah,
1: we should you know, how do you move on past that?
0: <laughs> no, it it is a it is a mighty big issue. Um yeah,
1: uh, oh, well you know
0: yeah. what can you do? It's kinda of sad, man now did we just kill this episode <laughs> i
1: hope not let's let's try to move on um the okay. next thing uh that i've got in the uh show outline here that i just wanted to mention just because i'm you know i'm the star trek nerd i have to carry the banner right the best of yes. both worlds uh parts one and two um the best of both worlds uh is a star trek episode from the end of season three and the beginning of season four parts one and two and it's it's kind of well-known highly acclaimed as probably probably the most well-known episode of star trek the next generation this is when you've probably heard of it even though you probably haven't watched it yet uh this is when captain picard is turned into a borg i mean who doesn't know about that right uh you didn't know about it
0: i had seen iconic images i thought that that was just from one of the movies
1: no the movie builds on that uh the movie uh the movie you're thinking of first contact is a direct result of this episode uh, oh. where he has to deal with a Borg again, and he has to deal with his emotions from that experience of being a Borg and uh, all kinds of things. Uh, but yeah, this this is uh, an iconic episode. And as I've mentioned before, Star Trek The Next Generation is being remastered on Blu-ray, and what they're doing with The, the Best of Both Worlds is they're turning it into a standalone Blu-ray. Both episodes uh, merged into one continuous feature-length, basically, kind of film. Oh uh, wow. Yeah, so and it's it's being given special treatment and uh yeah, because it is probably the most iconic episode from Star Trek the Next Generation or episode. So on
0: the Blu-ray I imagine you'll be able to watch it in its original cut unchanged.
1: Sure. Well. If you get all the full season um if you get the season Blu-ray, season three and then season four, you'll be able to watch it as it originally appeared only in HD. This is actually a standalone episode, uh a standalone Blu ray of just that episode put together as if it were one. Mm. Uh, so, which is pretty cool.
0: So, so does Word have it that they wanted it to be this way? Was the the ah. directors or the writers behind it? Did they? Have no, this, well, no, their not
1: necessarily. Because when they wrote uh, this episode, uh, one of the writers uh, wasn't even sure that he was going to be coming back for season four, and so he wrote one of the writers or the writer that wrote this wrote it and wrote it as a cliffhanger and had no idea how he was going to fix it. If he had to come back next season. <laughs> no kidding. Huh. So no, not necessarily, but it was, it was really good, uh, really good TV. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the Blu-ray and the remastering stuff. So the trailer that for that, exciting. yeah, the trailer for that is in the show notes, the uh, best of both worlds on Blu-ray. There's a trailer.
0: Well, now you got me really wanting to finish season three. No, you I got, Distar- I've been distracted with um, House of Cards.
1: Oh yeah, have you been watching that?
0: Yeah, I'm uh-huh. up to episode seven. So,
1: oh wow, you're about to catch up with me.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I will. Um, I'll probably overtake you. My my wife really likes the show too, so we watch it whenever okay. we have some time for TV together.
1: Boy, it. Uh- it's just for for those listening who might be interested in the show, just be be aware it is a very adult show.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll have to talk about some TV sometime. Maybe we can squeeze in some time. I don't know. Yeah, March I, or April. I don't want to we'll step have to talk on, about TV.
1: Yeah, I don't want to step on in the queue that I do with Alex, which we're going to be talking about House of Cards this week. We had to delay our in the queue this week. We're not recording until Friday, but we will be talking about House of Cards then. So. I don't want to do step on we, that.
0: But do you think that we should get Alex on our show sometime? Would he I think be we,
1: available? I think we should. We'll we'll have to see. He he's he's a very busy guy and sometimes it's hard for him to find time to record with in the key with me or it, things get shuffled around a lot. Uh so, you know. I got gotcha. you. But but yeah, I would yeah, love to have him on the show sometime. Uh, he's Yeah, he's we a great should guy. talk
0: about TV for sure when he's here. You bet. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't talk about TV without him. Well, that's good. Yeah. So the new Oblivion trailer. Did you no, get a chance to starring, watch this? I have not seen the Brand, brand new one. I okay. saw a f- full-length uh, trailer. <laughs> okay, so this is the funny thing. It's starring Tom Cruise. This is his big <laughs> summer um, blockbuster smash sci-fi adventure film, right? And it's based on some sort of sci-fi story, I suppose. was a novel or something. Very geeky stuff. <laughs> but the embed you put on our site, I love it. You got moviebyte.com slash articles slash 2013 slash 2013 zero two slash new dash oblivion dash trailer that is the link go there and uh if you see the embedded video it it cracks me up top cruise's uh expression just is <laughs> totally classic that is so not cruise i cannot believe he can put on that expression <laughs> <That's pretty laughs> he, funny. you know your thumbnail is like classic Tom Cruise, this cool dude peering down the scope of a blaster, and then you look at the embedded uh, player, and you just see he's bathed in yellow in his white suit with a blaster, and the (laughs) the headline on the embedded video is Oblivion. (laughs) Very ominous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that thumbnail on that video was chosen you know thoughts. just for that reason Just Some, for that reason <laughs>
0: yeah the the guy but, editing this together was like oh i cannot not use that clip that, that <laughs> that's that screen capture
1: new trailers looking pretty good i i you know there are things that i missed from the original trailer that i felt like helped sell the film but there are new things in this trailer that really helped sell the film as well so watch them both for sure and this one of course will be in the show notes um yeah i mean i think it's looking like it's a pretty decent film i i have to admit i'm you know there's people that have their mixed opinions on on uh tom cruise and sci-fi and stuff i was a big fan of minority report um i was a big fan of jack reacher you now big fan is pushing over jack reacher but I, I liked it and so i like tom cruise and i like tom cruise and sci-fi and i like the looks of this film i really <laughs> to do. be
0: honest my my taste or i'm sorry my my opinion Of sci fi, genuine hardcore sci fi, where you get into the nitty gritty and you have man against the aliens and blasters and very odd creatures and spacecrafts, and you know, incorporate things like time travel and a little space travel. Those things are like really nerdy to me. So, my expectations of this sort of story are very low, but it looks very promising. Um, It says here, like you added in the link, that Oblivion is brought to us by the same director who brought us the awesome Tron Legacy. And uh, that is to quote you. And I totally agree. Tron Legacy was one of my favorite films. We'll be talking about it in a couple of weeks. But the thing about Tron Legacy was that it's just so different from what you see in most mainstream films. So if this film can capture the director's sensibilities, then I'll be very happy to see Oblivion. You know, Tron Legacy doesn't work for everybody. But if you you have an open mind, and if you're okay with seeing a film that isn't like all the rest of them, then it really works. It's a very nerdy sci-fi, and Oblivion looks like it will be no exception to that either. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it now. And, you know, Tom Cruise notwithstanding.
1: Tom Cruise and I was standing, you have to forgive me, I'm adjusting my mic, I'm having some trouble with my mic stand I don't know if you can hear that or not
0: Oh, what kind of mic stand do you use?
1: Oh, it's, an, it's a cheap, uh, you know, music store uh, mic stand, you know, I don't know uh, It's Yeah,
0: uh, what I have is actually what's used to hold up a, uh, like a microphone for guitar players and uh, mm. y- you know how I rig it up on my desk? No idea You want to hear it? This is really fun Everybody laughs when they see me working here at the desk with my v- microphone. Um what I do is I have this tripod legged stand sitting on my desk next to my monitor and the arm of the microphone the ne- sorry the neck that extends the microphone out in front of my face is so long that it would tip over the stand easily. So to weigh down the feet of my tripod you know microphone stand, I have a big old plastic tub filled with my old transformer toys <laughs> and it weighs down my microphone stand so that i can, yeah the microphone doesn't top, top over
1: that's funny well getting back to obli- uh, oblivion sorry i just had to uh, adjust that microphone um yeah i where were we what were you saying
0: well i was just saying that tom cruise notwithstanding
1: no oh, not to- notwithstanding you don't so you don't like tom cruise necessarily you don't care for him that much
0: i really don't Okay. My expectations he, of him are very low.
1: He has to be cast right. Like, he's not a super versatile actor. I'll give you that. But when you cast him right, I think he, I think it's good. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm looking for this film. I, I wanted to clarify about sci-fi. I don't like hard sci-fi. I don't like, like, really heavy sci-fi. I like what a lot of people would probably call pop sci-fi. Uh, uh,
0: no, 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 no. Yeah, you do. A lot of people would call Star Trek, you know, heavy sci-fi. No,
1: no, no. Let me clarify something. Star Trek is not heavy sci-fi. Star Trek is not hard sci-fi.
0: Says the guy who wears glasses. Okay, so, well, exactly, um, nerd. Uh, what, nerd, yeah, yeah,
1: you know, you you realize like half the world wears glasses. Half of the it, ha- half of the first, and world.
0: the other half wear contact lenses.
1: I'm sorry, I've tried to wear contact lenses. They hurt my eyes.
0: You know um, what? If I if I had an, you, you're condition- really
1: rabbit trailing here, man. <laughs> I'm trying hard to keep you on track, folks. I'm trying to keep him on track.
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry. This gotcha is so good. Uh, well, if I had to wear one or the other, I'd be wearing glasses too
1: okay um, that's a personal
0: confession i'm sorry
1: but no i i think you would get a lot of flack for calling star trek hard sci-fi hard sci-fi is like um what is it is, it? is uh there was a film that i saw uh one time that uh somebody who's into hard sci-fi no 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 although that maybe that is but no i'm thinking of like uh, dark city maybe um it was somebody uh, somebody that's into hard sci-fi um yeah yeah that's it uh rufus sewell um and uh, William Hurt, Kiefer Sutherland, yes, yes, that's the one. Jennifer Canelli. Um, yeah. Anyway, that that's a lot more like a hard sci-fi. Uh, I
0: can't uh, say that I've ever even heard of it. Yeah, that
1: is just so not my thing. Whoever it was, I can't remember exactly. Uh, somebody I know who's into hard sci-fi, and he's like, "Yeah, you got to see this. That's sci-fi," and I hate well,
0: it. Okay, m- maybe I should. Yeah, maybe I should qualify what I said about Star Trek. I think that the real hardcore sci-fi fans. Uh, god love them they're the people who watch star trek and then they go to comic-con as star trek in dress and they no no they see live. those are not
1: those are not hard sci-fi fans those are just oh, okay. those are just nerdy geeky people
0: okay so they're not the people who live the big bang theory tv show.
1: uh well i don't know about that that that's oh, okay. probably i think you're you're just you have the wrong stereotype in your head for what hard sci-fi is oh okay yeah so, Th- that, uh, what but about, that's very well, much pop sci-fi
0: what about the people who read all those novels about Star Trek in Barnes and Noble? They're I just see?
1: they're just nerdy about Star Trek. Okay, that, but that doesn't right, make Star Trek. Enough. I mean, you you have people who do that with Harry Potter too, but that doesn't make Harry Potter sci-fi.
0: Well, it is fantasy, but it's fantasy. And the right? hero okay. wears glasses.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, but see, my point is here. I'm talking about real hard sci-fi, like sci-fi. That's trying to, uh, how do you, how do you define it? Uh, we'll have to come back to this in a later episode because we're really pushing it here. <laughs> <laughs> but suffice it to okay. say, Star Trek is not, Star Trek is pop sci-fi and that's what I like. Okay. I understand. It's I, fantasy. I feel you. Okay.
0: You're in denial. Everybody is about something.
1: Um, okay. Whatever. I, I have no idea what you're trying to say now.
0: <laughs> okay. Identity Thief. Identity Thief. Review. I went and saw
1: Identity Thief. I'm, I, I, regretfully, <laughs> I didn't like it very much. But now, you know, it was one of I those I was films, a little
0: disappointed. I, I based on your review, I really had high hopes for this film, and I was well, you know, right? Like yeah. it, it's
1: it you know it's in February, and it's the the worst. It it's a bad time of year. But you go you you know you look at the trailer and you go, okay, th- this could be fun, right? It, sure. I it, wonder, it, and, you and wonder. I think they put all the jokes in the trailer, like, and there were no other jokes. Oh,
0: yeah? Ouch!
1: <laughs> yeah, that, it was it was one of those kind of deals. Um, and and the biggest problem that this film had is it wanted to be taken seriously, and yet it wanted to be a slapstick comedy.
0: And, well, something that seems self-evident from your review was that the character of Diana, played by Melissa McCarthy, took over the film. Is that right?
1: Sure, and, and I, think, I don't think anybody expected anything different.
0: Yeah, but it just doesn't seem like there's any balance there. Um, what is his name? Uh, Sandy Patterson, played by Jason Bateman? Yeah. That guy is an okay protagonist. He plays the everyman, sort of the, the, uh, what would you call him? The middle class, middle aged guy or just le- less than middle aged? Yeah, I just, wouldn't have
1: quite un- called call him quite middle aged. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A little under middle aged. Yeah. But that mm-hmm. guy could play the everyman. And, uh, I've, en- I've enjoyed him in some TV shows. It seems like this film was trying to invoke some of his TV shows. Um, you know, but yeah. Uh, it didn't look like he had much to give and diana's character can only go so far um so i don't know yeah i'm glad you spared me man uh you know what i went and saw no tell me i went and saw the silver linings playbook
1: oh how was it
0: fabulous and i'm so glad that i saw it i i didn't expect much of it from the trailer And, you know, Rotten Tomatoes was giving it very high ratings from critics and audiences. And I thought, you know, nothing of it, really. I thought, well, that's an anomaly. And then a couple of people around here told me I really needed to go see it. So I did. And I was doing it also because we were reviewing it for Movieology, the other podcast. Oh, right. right, Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the guys... They talked it up. They loved it, too. I loved it. You know what? You should probably try to see that movie with your wife before it's gone. Yeah, but I definitely yes. want to. And if you haven't seen it, people, you need to see it instead of Identity Thief. If you already had plans <laughs> for Identity Thief, go see that one instead.
1: Yeah, definitely don't bother seeing Identity Thief. Uh, you know, and it's an R-rated film, and I expected there to be some R-rated things in it, but I was, I was a little bit surprised by some of the stuff, even so, uh, you know. So yeah. uh, mm. don't don't bother with identity thief. Not worth it. Not worth That's it. That's too bad. Yeah, yeah, and it had it did have potential. But you know, it, it, it wanted to be the like I said, like I said in the review, it wanted its cake and it wanted to eat it too. Um, you know, and it just didn't in some films, I have to admit, some films have been able to pull that off. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know there have been some, and and this wasn't one of them. Hmm. Okay. <sighs> so well,
0: TJ, I'm so glad that you suffered through that for me. <laughs> Is there any movies that you want me to watch that I can spare you from?
1: Uh, not particularly. Um, okay.
0: I'll let you get back with me on that.
1: Okay. Hey, Uh. so when are we going to see your review for Silver Linings Playbook on Movie Byte?
0: I'm working on it. It's been a hectic week. I have had a lot to do, my friend. I am very busy, man.
1: I hear you. I hear you. I have, too. By the way, you mentioned uh, Movieology Episode 3. I'm putting that in the show notes. Uh, That just came out this week. Uh, Eric and Michael did talk about Silver Linings Playbook, so that's worth uh, taking a listen to. Here we go, Movieology Episode 3 in the show notes. All right. Is that it for side items?
0: Yes, sir. You know, uh, Mr. TJ, I am so excited that we can get to this part because this is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I am so disappointed that you don't dig it like I did.
1: It's not that I hate it.
0: Okay, fair enough. But I, I, I'm glad that you can play the not just the devil's advocate in spirit, but in truth. Um, Tonight, I'm going to vouch for why Hook is just one of the best Spielberg films. And you can explain why it's lackluster. Okay. Okay. okay.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll do my best.
0: All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are moving into the review segment. We're talking about Spielberg's 1991 movie, Hook. Now, can you remember can you remember
1: 1991, TJ? I kind of do. Let's see. I would have been 9.
0: I would have been 6 or 7, but I probably 6. And yes, it was almost Christmas time. And I was getting, I didn't know it then, but I was getting a couple of toys from this movie for Christmas. I was getting Hook, Peter Pan, and uh, I think that was it. But then my brother got another version of Captain Hook. So So they were selling some pretty good toys. You know, they had this one where Hook could flip out. His sword underneath his hook—that was really cool. <laughs> but they, but they didn't have enough artic- of joints and articulation. So th- this movie had a budget of seventy million, and its box office domestic was one hundred and nineteen million one hundred and fifty-four thousand eight hundred and twenty-three dollars, and it got a total of worldwide three hundred million eight hundred and fifty-four thousand eight hundred and twenty-three. Now, do do we know what the? uh, Oh, yeah, we already covered the budget. So this film did really well that year, and this was during the Bush administration, right?
1: Uh, Bush Senior, eighty-two. Yeah, I think so.
0: That's pretty good. That's pretty good for a movie during the Bush administration.
1: It would have been right in the first year of the administration if I have my dates right.
0: Yes. Okay, so a little bit about this film. Hook is a 1991 American fantasy adventure film directed by Steven Spielberg, written by James V. Hart and Melia Scotch-Marmo. It stars Robin Williams as Peter Pan or Peter Banning as he goes for most of the film. It also stars Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook, Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell. Okay, if there's no other good reason to see this film see it for that reason
1: i agree she's really good
0: (laughs) yeah then there's bob hoskins as me and he's good too (laughs) i know listen to this cast it's awesome maggie smith as granny wendy
1: this is the reason why i rated it as (sighs) much as i did even though i don't care for the film as well as you do
0: yes now maggie smith plays one of the significant characters in um downton abbey did you know that
1: i did know that i haven't seen downton abbey yet i've been told i should uh we'll see
0: Now, Um, something that impressed me when I went back to Watch Hook, before I continue with uh, the other details, I wanted to just go ahead and mention that uh, Maggie Smith as Granny Wendy really convinced me that she was an old lady. And she, in that movie, looked older than she does in Downton Abbey. And Downton Abbey, friends, is made 20 years after the 1991 Hook. Isn't that amazing? She, she's a great performer, and that says a lot for the makeup artists. Now we continue with the explanation about, or about this film. The film acts as a sequel to J.M. Barry's 1911 novel Peter and Wendy, focusing on a grown-up Peter Pan who has forgotten his childhood. Now, not many people knew that, did they? Aha. Uh-huh. So, see, that's why you listen to our show, so that we can tell you cool things like this wasn't conceived in Hollywood. This came from a novel. Now, known as Peter Banning, he is a successful corporate lawyer with a wife and two children. Hook kidnaps his children, and Peter must return to Neverland and reclaim his youthful spirit in order to challenge his old enemy. You know, this must have been a very popular film at Blockbuster back in the early 90s. And that's why nobody watches it anymore, because they watched it too much, because there was nothing else worth watching at Blockbuster back in those days. Okay, Spielberg began developing the film in the early 1980s with Walt Disney Productions and Paramount Pictures, which would have followed the storyline seen in the 1924 silent film and 1953 animated film. Did I say scene? I meant storyline. So it would have followed the storyline seen in the 1924 silent film and 1953 animated film, which I grew up on. The Disney animated pictures classic, right? I think that's what um, my generation and all previous generations, for the most part, in culture grew up with. They they remember the Disney, Disney-ification of Peter Pan. Right. You know, so then Peter Pan entered a pre-production in 1985, the year I was born, maybe... But Spielberg uh, he abandoned the project in 1985, and James V. Hart developed the script with director Nick Castle and TriStar Pictures before Spielberg decided to direct the ni- uh, direct the film in 1989. Hook was shot entirely on sound stages at Sony Picture Studios in Culver City, California. Although receiving negative reviews by critics at the time of its release, it was a success with audiences, grossing over 30 million worldwide and was nominated for multiple categories at the 64th Academy Awards. It also spawned merchandise including video games, action figures, which I some of those I still have, and comic book adaptations.
1: Yeah, and, and this is the interesting thing, too, right? I mean, uh, Rotten Tomatoes shows the critics at 29%. I mean, it's really low, right? But the the audience is at 72%. So the audience really loved this film.
0: Well, not really loved it, but yes, gave well, it a lot but, more But credence.
1: comparatively, I mean, that's a huge gap.
0: It is, but that's it, pretty common, you know. We see that all the time, well, and it's really it, irking, isn't it?
1: I, I don't know if it's pretty common, but it, it, we do see it, and it, it's. I just find it fascinating. What was the disconnect there? Why did why did the audience love it and critics hate it so much? And I think this film probably tapped into a little bit of that. Uh, I don't know if you say the kid in in the in in you, or maybe there's a little bit of nostalgia there or something. It's it's kind high
0: of, on the nostalgia. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's you know kind of one of my uh, I think flawed failures of this film is how I would kind of rate that. But th- you know, we'll get to that.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, there, yeah. So, I have some so, more thoughts I had on there too.
1: Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, the storyline though, th- th- this is what's interesting about hook. Um, it's Peter Pan, but it's not Peter Pan, right? <coughs>
0: exactly. In fact, it's the only movie that plays more as a sequel to the story of Peter Pan that we all see over and over again right. from Hollywood.
1: So Peter Pan has grown up to be a, a cutthroat merger and acquisitions lawyer and is married to Wendy's granddaughter. Strangely enough. Captain Hook, played by Dustin Hoffman, kidnaps his children and, and Peter return his children and Peter returns to Neverland with Tinkerbell, played by Julia Roberts. With the help of her and the lost boys, he must remember how to be Peter Pan again in order to save his children by battling with Captain Hook once mm. again. So that's the storyline here. So it's not the Peter Pan story. It's what if Peter Pan grew up, you know, and well, okay, let's start here. What did you like about this film? Joseph Darnell.
0: Oh, shoot. Well, uh, there are so many reasons, TJ, to like this film that it saddens me that you, one of my kindred spirits in life (laughs) cannot appreciate the grandeur of Neverland
1: I don't know if I'd Hook say I can't appreciate and it. And the
0: pirates and the 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 majestic quality of most all of the effects of the places of the dialogue and of the character of Wendy. Can, it can brings you, me back to my childhood.
1: Can you help me here? Can you give me an example of dialogue that was clever in this film? Because that was one of the things that I didn't like about it. There was no clever dialogue in this
0: film. Okay, okay well, I'll grant you that there are many lines in this movie that... In and of themselves, they're cheesy, but their delivery really carries them.
1: Well, Um, yeah, I mean that's a good actor can take bad lines and make them okay, right? But see, that's Uh, but that does not make them good lines. I mean, that's what I feel like Rob Williams is doing here is is he's delivering bad lines in a way that you can kind of kind of live with.
0: Oh, okay. Well, uh, okay. I think you just hit the nail on the head for a lot of the people who dislike this film. See, I think a lot of people really enjoy the story of Peter Pan because they enjoy the character of Peter Pan, but we see so little of the character of Peter Pan. What we see is Robin Williams per- portraying Peter Pan, and that's only for a very small part of the last part of the film. The rest of the movie, Robin Williams is playing Peter Banning, This stodgy old businessman, this lawyer who's awkward with words, and you know what? You would never even think that Robin Williams would be Peter Pan. And it's worse when Peter Pan isn't behaving like Peter Pan. So uh, I can totally understand why you would perceive that his lines as the central character are very poor indeed.
1: I have to stop you here, though, too, and say, well, wh- wh- isn't it a contradiction? It's just weird contradiction that a lawyer would not be good with words. It was so weird. Like, well, how could he be a lawyer? It's not even possible.
0: You're right. And that, that's probably it has a lot to do with the early 90s. Right. I think that this film um, suffers from being high on the style and low on the substance Agree. And the substance that it has hardly ever comes from the, from the character of Peter Banning Peter Pan. It usually comes from Wendy or even Hook. Maybe um, the right. kids or, you know, the, all these other side characters like Tink. And it's, yeah, you're right. It's frustrating that you don't get the substance from the central character. But this film is about getting the central character to be consistent with what? the central character isn't that awesome i I, love that irony i guess yeah okay so it's (laughs) not very often that you have a character who is not being himself and this whole movie is about peter you're not being yourself and everybody is trying to encourage him to rediscover who he really is and to get out of the minutiae of his work life and his career He, he's ruining his marriage. He's uh, suffering as a father. His children are going through a terrible time and and that's no fun. And then, you know, he even returns to his childhood and he goes back to Neverland and you have hook doesn't even recognize him in no way. Does hook recognize him? He doesn't for an instance, suspect Peter Banning to be Peter Pan. And then it, it, which he even brings up the question, how was it that Tink understood that this was peter pan if Hook couldn't I, I don't know no oh, well she,
1: you know she's a fairy
0: that's and she's julia <laughs> roberts so <laughs> there you go um uh, so so the thing is peter pan uh, he's not even recognizable from the lost boys and it's just profound that they this movie was a really clever example of like the work behind the curtain that the filmmakers are trying to to invoke Um, At play with a twist, right? See, most movies are about filmmakers trying to make characters seem believable, playing the character out as the character was conceived by the screenwriters. But here we have a story where, as it unfolds, the filmmakers are trying to tell a story where the the, the main character is becoming himself, the person that he was meant to be. And you only get to see a glimpse of him near the end of the film.
1: Yeah, just, just to note, he's not becoming himself. He's somebody else, he's somebody else, he's somebody else. Boom, then he's himself. There was no, there right. was no transition. That's another thing I find frustrating about this film.
0: You're right. And, okay, I'll grant you that. But along the way, to make up for the fact that Peter Pan is not excelling, there's all these other great characters and supporting cast, the beautiful music. Neverland never looked better. Neverland Neverland never looked more um, I don't know intelligent yet imaginative than in this film did you ever see the TV special it came out a few years ago and it was called something like Pan and it was a two-parter and it was telling the story imagined where um, Peter Pan and um, Captain James T. Hook were uh, people from London (laughs) well don't you know that's his middle initial Really? Everybody that. Are you that. sure
1: you're not getting confused with James T Kirk?
0: <sighs> Man, people, we we really need to help TJ here cuz Okay, I, I I just it.
1: never heard that one before.
0: <laughs> TJ, do you realize that two of your initials are the same as his Hooks? I, I'm beginning to wonder here. Okay. You're you're TJ and he's JT. Uh, that's that's not a coincidence. Um, okay. <laughs> you're pro- I think you're one of the pirates, my friend. Okay, so Here's the thing is that in that particular TV rendition, you know, Captain Hook was actually this guy who tried to help out some boys in London, England, and it was sort of told like a Oliver Twist story. And these boys from London end up accidentally using an oar but transport themselves to the place that happens to be Neverland. And it explains how all the pirates got there and why the Indians are there and things like that. And the first part of that two-parter was pretty good but see the problem with so many of these other incarnations of um the the, the mythos of neverland and peter pan is they suffer so many ways um the fairies don't come across right the mermaids don't come across right they're again more about um style than substance than this movie is the movie hook And like I just said a few moments ago, I I think that this movie is more about style than it is about substance. But the the, the way it works, TJ, is that what substance there is there always works. And the style for what it is, it works really well. And I'm not just saying that because I was watching this movie while I had a couple of drinks, but it's true. It works better than The Hobbit. That's for sure.
1: No. I'm sorry. We'll have to disagree on that.
0: <laughs> mm. uh, um, Do you want to get into some of the specifics for yourself? What I'm, did you like? I,
1: I just have to mention, I'm looking. I've been looking online since you said James T. Hook. I can't find... I, in fact, I have here a James Bartholomew Hook. I have James Hook. I have Jas Hook. I can't find a James T. Hook. I think you're confused. What? Yeah. James, James T. Kirk is Cap, you know Captain Kirk, but... I can't find a James T. Hook. I, I just I just have you know everyone's gonna, I just have to talk <laughs> to you on the show. No, they're, 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 No! They're, are you serious? I'm serious. I, I can't got that find from I'm Star Trek? Yeah.
0: Oh TJ, you're getting to me now. Oh no. I'm I'm blaming you for this one.
1: Oh uh, it's all this. All this Star why would you Trek blame me watching? for your confusion?
0: <laughs> uh, because I've been watching all the Star Trek and it's your fault.
1: Okay, so you wanted me to tell you why I didn't like this film?
0: Uh, no, no, no. Tell me a little bit of why you liked the film before you, you, belittle
1: okay. it. I really like Smee. Uh, he's, he's fun. <laughs> um, uh, what, what's the guy's name that yes. plays Smee? I, I, uh, it's not on the top of my head here. Um, Bob Hoskins. Uh, he does a great job in this role. And, and, and to some extent, too, Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook. I, I immensely enjoyed to that To some extent?
0: Are you kidding? He is so not Dustin Hoffman. There's, do you realize that most people who didn't know this was Dustin Hoffman didn't know that that was Dustin Hoffman?
1: Well, sure. I mean, that's what I say. Mean, I think he did a fine job, almost as yeah. good as Bob Hoskins, as me. Um, conversely, even though I like Robin Williams uh, in, in things from time to time, I didn't find him that compelling as this character. Even before or after he, you know, found out he was Peter Pan, uh, you know. But that well, we're, we're not supposed to be talking about that yet.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, I, I I understand. I feel you. Now, what did you think though about the the set designs, the costumes, the the atmosphere? The quality of the visual effects. I I, I have mixed um, feelings. I felt about
1: it was that. a little bit dated, but at the same time, it, you know, it worked for what it was. Especially like the dating. And I'm not talking about. Okay, so there is some dating in the fact that it's a '90s film, right? And you, you know, the cell phones are big bricks and that sort of thing, and that's acceptable because that's a time period the film is set in. On the other hand, some of the effects, like you can you can tell that the green screen and matting is a little bit too present with when Peter Pan is flying and that sort of thing. Um, so that that's a little bit dated, but it, it right. works. It's not, it's not like it was a super special effects heavy film. Well, I mean, in some ways it was, cause I mean, you know, Tinkerbell and stuff, but at the same time, it, it wasn't like, uh, it didn't need to be in a special effects extravaganza. So on that level, it worked.
0: Yes. Um, and, and you know what, though, I, I don't want to quibble over the, the little stuff, I, I'll grant you that a lot of the visual effects suffer, and the and some of the set design. Um, but are we talking about the bad stuff now, or well, can I address it, it seems a few like more we're mixing it likes? up? Um, yeah. They, okay. Okay. Yeah. We but, we are. But, but
1: since we're on the subject of the special effects, I think the worst special effects shot in this entire film is at the very end with Toodles flying around in in London. That just it was so bad. It was so bad. It didn't work at all.
0: Um, something else I wanted to mention about the – I don't know if this is a failure of the visual effects per se, but it seems like the special effects, the visual effects, and the design of what they had on set fail when it comes to the crocodile. Oh, yeah. See, see that—that that is a key weakness in this film. For all of the green screening, which was – top shelf for 1991. Yeah. For all of the, you know, the the Tinkerbell whizzing about as a bright light and coming in and out of three-dimensional spaces as which actually most of Julia that worked Roberts. pretty well. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So, so many of the things really work, but when it comes to the 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 very pinnacle of the climax, you have Hook ate by the crocodile And it seems like nothing about that crocodile convinces you, one, that it was a stuffed crocodile. He looks completely fake. Uh, Two, that somehow he could eat Hook after the fact that he was stuffed. Three, that there's any sense of life left in it. And why would he come back to life now at this point? Yeah, just that, because he's I, released by a couple of wooden
1: beams. And that's the one of the things I remember from when I watched it as a kid, going, that that was terrible. And, and that's the sort of thing you usually notice as a kid, just if that tells you how bad that part is.
0: <laughs> I, and, you know, uh, see, here's the thing, though, TJ. I, I try to give the benefit of the, the doubt to the filmmakers. And this is one of the times when I do, though I'm not crazy about it, I interpret that what they did with The Crocodile is consistent with the roots of Peter Pan and what it was all those years before this movie came along. But, you know, uh, take yourself back to 1991 while this movie was being made and while the the writers and the other director guy, uh, you know, the writer, uh, Mr. Hart, were working on this thing during the 80s. Remember that Peter Pan was primarily a stage play. Uh, you know, they had a novelization for children bedtime story stuff. But whoever, whoever, you know, is since 1965 onward, read the bedtime story about Peter Pan that wasn't Disneyified. Um,
1: I haven't. Th- I mean, that's the, the only ma- one I know.
0: Yeah. So, so most people either know the stage play or the, but you know, whether it was professionally produced or what they did in school. And you think about that at its root as that is, the, that is the, uh, the legacy of the classic Peter Pan, and then you look at the crocodile, it almost makes sense. To me, I perceive it that the crocodile is a leftover from the stage play, that he is as good as it gets for the legacy that was Peter Pan as a musical or a Broadway, a Broadway play.
1: You've, you've lost yeah. me, dude. I don't understand what you're trying to say.
0: I, what I'm trying to say is that oftentimes movies use um, design or some element to hearken to the roots of the story as it was adapted before the time of the movie. Okay. So, if, so take Rick and Ralph, for example. Rick and Ralph often uses characters in an 8-bit or 16-bit or 32-bit fashion. Sure. So they're animated as clunky, their music soundtrack sounds like it's circa the 80s or 90s, just because it's consistent with the source material of what video games did back then.
1: But that that makes sense for Wreck-It Ralph, because you're in this video game world, having a, a crocodile that, you know, we're going off on a tangent here, but having a crocodile that's not real to life somehow, it just doesn't help the film at all. Whereas an eight-bit character in Wreck-It Ralph makes complete and total sense.
0: Mm. Yeah, and see that's where I, th- I agree with you. See, that's the thing is I, I teeter on this one. I'll I'll buy the the crocodile i'll accept him for what he is at the same time he is one of my dislikes he should have been better had he been better he probably would have made the movie a complete five-star film for me I, i'm <laughs> just alluding to my star rating there but yeah uh because i'm a big fan of peter pan and i'm a uh, even okay. bigger fan right. of neverland so um this okay, so, is my so favorite how, now, now, now i want to hear
1: you defend this at, at, towards the okay. end of the film okay Towards the end of the film, as Peter Pan has just left um, the, the the boy in charge, I don't remember his name, but he's he's given him the sword and he's flying away, and as he's shrinking into the sky, faintly and with a little bit of reverb and echo as the effect added, you hear Robin Williams say, thank you for believing. Is that not, just not the cheesiest thing you have ever, uh. ever, ever heard? Come on, tell me, tell me that's not cheesy. <laughs> Defend that, please. But that's the thing.
0: <laughs> TJ, think about it here. Come on, you're being too hard on this. No, this is I'm a not. Story. That's that's
1: the worst line ever written in the history of filmmaking.
0: Oh, n- no. Come yes, on. yes, it okay, is. Uh, okay, back up, TJ. <laughs> Have you seen the live-action version of the Peter Pan story as it was in its I've, classic? I've a tried to year- scrub it can- from my memory. It came out a few years ago. Not, that, not the oh, cartoon. Oh, no,
1: okay, I thought you meant like, okay, never mind. Yeah, There's but, a
0: live-action version, no. and I think it was a it was sort of a, a side item in the production studios of Disney a few years ago, and it, it didn't do all that great. And I don't know why, because when I've gone back and I've watched it many times, DJ, let me tell you, it seems like I'm a sucker for all things Neverland, but w- that movie was really good. And it tells the classic story of Peter Pan... Um, exceptionally well but i can see why it didn't do too well in a, for our modern times because you know what uh, Peter Pan's been overdone. He's been overused. There's been too many cartoons. There've, there's been too many movies. And it's difficult to tell the original story. It's like, come on, you know, we, we don't need to hear the original story done yet again. It doesn't matter how good you make the film. It, you're you're recooking the original recipe for the 90th time. And, you know, we get it. You, you're, this is a really good film or a really good story. Uh, so yes, I love that latest live action version most as, as far as the original traditional story is concerned. But, uh, wait a minute. I was saying all this to lead up to answer your question. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, thank you for believing to answer your TJ. This is a bedtime story. This is a story for kids and it can get away with a lot because of that. Uh,
1: Yes. But you're on, you're on the silver screen now. You can't do that.
0: Um, no, you can think about how this movie starts. It starts with the kids, um, reenacting the classic Peter Pan story on stage. Sure. But you hold it against the kids for not being authentically portraying the story. And why is it that Peter Pan is a girl?
1: No, because it's a, it's a stage play that they're doing within a film.
0: Right. But what do those parents that are in the audience uh, accept or how do they respond to the stage play? They love it. They love seeing their kids reenacting the story.
1: I don't think we're going to agree on this point. <laughs> okay, well, let, let hey, me I'll, just
0: say one more thing.
1: Before you do, I just wanted okay. to mention, um, Haro in, this, in the chat room says, sounds like the Lion King, Simba. Remember who who you are. Is this a normal theme movie? movies? I'm not quite sure what he's referring to. I wanted to ask him for clarification on that. I think I may have missed it, and so the context is missing for me. So if you could- No,
0: no, no. Did, did, did you watch the Lion King growing up? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you remember his old dad saying, remember, remember, you know, that would echo in the clouds in the night.
1: Yeah, Um, okay. Yeah,
0: Yeah. you know, Haro, I I agree, I'd have to agree. Um, This movie does a much better job, though, than The Lion King, but The Lion King did emulate this theme. Um, Simba was trying to reconnect with his father and his mother, the, the good influences of his childhood. And that's basically what Peter Pan is doing here too. But was it, there's a much larger stakes here because Peter banning as the adult has been absorbed into his career and he is not the man he needs to be for his wife, his children. He's lost all connection with Wendy and he made Wendy who she becomes. If you put um if you don't forget for an instant the classic story of Peter Pan while you watch the story of Hook unfold, you understand that Peter Pan has grown up to become uh, as I this is my uh, this is my favorite quality. Peter Pan has become Wendy's father.
1: Well, what Think do you mean by that? that? I don't get that. He,
0: okay, he, he's this stuffy businessman and full of adulthood to the point of forgetting childhood. Oh, he's completely oh, oh, oh. lost. Oh, I see his, what you mean. He's completely lost his boyhood. And this is what's so impressive with his character that when you see him as the man, you believe this really is Peter and it's Peter at his most possibly tragic outcome. And Wendy says to him, and this is just a great example of the good lines again, not from Peter banning, but from one of the great side characters. And Wendy says to him, so, Peter, you have become the pirate. And do you remember from the classic story that the, uh, traditionally the, the actor who plays Wendy's father always played a hook?
1: Mm, I, didn't, I don't know that I remember that, no.
0: Yes. And um, if you go back to even the Disney cartoon version, the voice who did Wendy's father does the voice of hook.
1: Oh, okay. In
0: the Disney version and in that most recent live action version by Disney. So, again, y- you understand that there's a metaphor going on here. It's so cool because it's come full circle that Peter Pan made Wendy the woman that she would become because Peter Pan rallied all of these lost boys together in Neverland, that he created this band of misfits. And he gave them a purpose, and they, they to fight pirates you know as as ridiculous as it could be, they were living out um, the best life they could possibly have in the existence in Neverland, you know the, you know with the parameters of Neverland that they would never age. What, what better purpose can you have as a boy, a child, than to fight the bad guys in that world? I mean, it's, it's a match made in heaven for any boy. It's a childhood's fantasy, right? And that's what this whole thing is about. Okay, so anyway, Peter Pan, though, made it happen for those lost boys. And then along comes Wendy, who adores him, and she witnesses the good thing that Peter did. That he brought these boys together, that he gave them a home and a sense of family. So Wendy goes back home to London. She grows up. And what does she do? She finds a way to participate in helping orphans find homes. So she, 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 she becomes involved in that activism and she finds homes for all of these orphans in the real world because Peter Pan inspired her. And then what happens? Peter Pan decides he wants to come and join the real world, but now he's a boy and Wendy isn't an adult. And as part of the backstory, Wendy decided, okay, Peter, if you want to belong in the real world, I'll help you find a- a- adoption parents. Isn't that so cool? But it goes even farther than that because Peter Pan is adopted, grows old. And what does he become? He becomes Wendy's father. The man that is consumed with business and forgets his boyhood, forgets why he's even here, and he loses all connection with his children. So while his character may not be the most interesting in this film because he is a stumbling blockhead, he is just a bad businessman, uh, you know, and a poor father and husband. When Wendy says those words, they, they, they cut me to the quick. That So, Peter, you have become the pirate there's all this poetic um childlike story going on from the, you know throughout the film that that's why i love this thing cuz okay. to me <laughs> it it's it, it greatly hearkens to the legacy of peter pan and it amplifies it
1: all right i'll take your word for it i you know i'm not quite there i i think there's too much cheese in this movie to be thoroughly enjoyed <laughs>
0: Mm. Okay, well, you know now we're digging into the dislikes. You want to talk about the dislikes? I had specific <laughs> likes. All right, maybe I should write a review about this so I can give them in detail. But you yeah, I understand like if it. we need to move on.
1: Uh, you know, I've already been talking about my dislikes. Mostly, um, you know, R- R- Rufio. What I, he's kind of a bit of a one-note character. Like,
0: oh, ugh, tell me about it. Horrible. You want to talk about Rufio? Okay, I, I've detailed my thoughts about him. I've been mulling over Rufio since 1991. And let me tell you, friends, I really despise Rufio. So here's, here's why. Dante Basco, the actor, never interested me. It just, he doesn't sell a character that belongs in this film. I'm sorry. Maybe he should have been another kid. Um, maybe he should have done something else. Maybe he should have been a pirate. I mean, frankly, um, he's not a lost boy. He's a bully. Now think what about it seems who like. The, yeah. Yeah. Think about who the lost boys are. Think about their legacy. Think about the traditional story. Were there any bullies among them? No. There were a lot of boys that were very precocious and they were, uh, you know, very um, uh, shallow. And yes, they could be very impetuous and um, swayed by the crowd, but they weren't Rufio. They weren't bullies. And so uh, he's a boy that happens to get along with these lost boys, and he makes a convenient leader of the boys for this particular narrative because they need somebody on the lost boys to not accept Peter Pan off the bat. Right. And they so they need like that. an
1: antagonist, but it's way too on the, like, exactly. like they just hit it right over the head. But he's
0: not even a boy. No. He's a grown-up boy. He he doesn't look boyish at all.
1: (laughs) I I noticed it more keenly this time than when I was younger when when, uh, Peter Banning says to him, you're not even old enough to shave. And I thought, yes, he is. (laughs) 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 What are you talking (laughs) about? (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) And he's he's not a part of the traditional story. Who ever heard of Rufio? Yeah, and, no, uh, I yeah. And most of the other characters in Neverland are a part of the original story, and Pan was great as a leader of the Lost Boys. Think about that. How come the Lost Boys have come to this? Why why did they accept Rufio as their leader when in the first place the reason they are a band of misfit boys that work so well together is because of Pan. And Rufio has been their leader for who knows how many years? And so, how is it that the Lost Boys have lasted this long without Pan? I, I find that disbelievable.
1: Yeah, and surely no, by this weird. point,
0: Hook would have outsmarted them without. It's weird. Pan. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, so Joe, I've gotten you to agree to maybe sixty to seventy percent of my dislikes. How is it that you rate this film so much higher than I do? <laughs> uh,
0: okay, well, let's run through a few of the other things. I'll just I'll just name off some of my other favorite uh, points. I think that Wendy's character is awesome. I think I think you know, she is. Well, my I mean, come on, this is Maggie granny. Smith. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: she's, she, she's going to be awesome. This this is right. uh <laughs> this is um oh no, words are failing me. <sighs> Uh, Harry Potter's teacher. Come on. Oh,
0: yeah. I forgot about that. But she did better as Wendy than she did as a woman with, a, you know, Professor witch, McGonagall. This yeah. is
1: Professor McGonagall we're talking about. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. But even so, she did better as Wendy. Um, and her lines were generally better and her presence was better. She has a, a meaningful connection with every character around yeah. her. I don't, I don't know if I agree that she's better. There's legacy that she has. Um, from her whole life as Wendy.
1: I don't I don't know if I would agree that she, Maggie Smith did better here than she did as, as McGonagall, but she did okay. okay. I didn't have any problem okay. with her.
0: Okay. And then uh, to back up to one of your earlier dislikes, I think the screenplay is brilliant. No, it's when I say the, Okay, Terrible. when I say the screenplay, I, I think that the screenplay is brilliant because it makes a film that's mostly about style
1: eh, really I, I, work. I, I, I think the idea of the screenplay is brilliant i think that the screenplay is terrible and and the execution is not that great
0: well think about this think about this dj which is better this story or the traditional story of peter pan which is more effective
1: oh this one for sure no doubt and like i said the idea of it yes i agree i like it yeah which is why you know i give the film a little bit of a pass i don't i don't say you shouldn't watch it or anything i just think that it it's not one of Spielberg's better works.
0: Oh, okay, people, you know, tune TJ out for just a second. Listen, <laughs> one of the great reasons for why I, I, I think that this screenplay is just brilliant is not just the lines from Smee, but okay, here's one of the lines from Smee that I noted. Let's give a big hand because he's only got one.
1: Yeah, no, I, that I, I've already awesome. said I like Smee, and I love- You're talking I love, about Hook, right? Okay, yeah, and I'll give you that one. There, I think any of the clever lines in this film were given to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And there were only okay. like one or two.
0: Okay. well, then, Okay, another like is that Dustin Hoffman outdoes all others as Hook. He demonstrates one of the very best performances, I think, of any villain- and especially, in, uh, you know, if if you're going to quibble over the specifics, uh, let me clear, uh, you know, qualify that. If, if uh, I can't say that he's one of the very best examples of villains in movies, then let me at least say he's one of the very best examples of fairy tale, fantasy, children's book story villains brought to the screen. He's probably the best in that category, and so that's why. I mean, that's one reason why. You know, this film is great. He is intense dramatic humorous eccentric and desperately wicked i mean this guy you really perceive that he is he's dangerous to the boys to the lost boys and to peter and his kids and then we see the men and women of all ages this is another point Uh, we see all these men and women of all ages stages of life walking the line of either pirate or child at heart throughout the film you know there's um there's P- uh, Mrs. Banning. There's the children. You see um, uh, uh, the male and female pirates, to, so to speak. And you perceive right from wrong, right? Either if you're, if, you're the, if you're one of the bad, you're even if you're not pirate in name, you are a pirate. Um, whether you belong in London, England, or if you're up in Neverland, if you're one of the bad, you're one of the pirates at heart. And then if you're one of the good, you're one of the children at heart and you know grant you i'm not exactly uh psyched about the the ramifications of that that metaphor blown to great proportions but i think that it works really well and it's very illustrative and it, it tells the theme of uh the classic peter pan more effectively that you know wendy's father was you know hook you know There you go. And then another thing I just love is I think that all the sets, the costumes, the props in this film are amazing, minus the crocodile. And then uh, the fairies. Okay, TJ, think about this. Have you seen a better example of fairies?
1: Uh, I don't know. I can okay, think, think of any. Uh, th-
0: think about this. Usually they're very ethereal. They may not even talk in English. They look very uh cold and distant or they're like old sages of the land and nature yeah, and they're that's all true. above yeah. men. Yeah. I think I agree with you. I you think know, I agree with th- you. They're very distant creatures and I dislike that. I like a humanized fairy. I mean like think about it. Your favorite droid of all time is probably R2D2. Um Man, yeah. one of your top 10 has got to be C-3PO and there's a reason for that they're humanized and then the more clever way that they can humanize a, a very uh, unusual being the better so for instance even the cave troll in the fellowship of the ring right let's take another crazy example of this it, but this will prove my point the cave troll um, remember uh, Boromir saying they have a cave troll you know, and they were down in uh, the caverns uh, where the dwarves had built and dwarves had died and orcs were attacking the fellowship. Remember that that orc seemed to have a persona that he, he, you actually appreciated that he had been um, in bondage and slavery to these orcs and probably sorely mistreated. And then here he was forced to fight the fellowship and it was just agony. For him, he, he's fighting the fellowship, not because he wants to or because he's a natural born villain, but because this is his lot in life. This is what he be, he's been stuck with. And so when you see that orc for that short period of time, duking it out with the hobbits and the you know the rest of them, even though you know he has got to go, he has got to go because he is in the way of the fellowship and we care more about them than some cave troll. We know, you know what? He kind of tugs tugs on the heartstrings. He he nearly killed Frodo, but at the same time, the CG character, this unusual, fantastic being, we connect to because he has human-like emotion. All right. So where are you you going with this? So for that reason, Tink is amazing because Tink is as human as it gets. And Spielberg decided, you know what? Fairies need to feel very human. And so that you can connect with Tink and that you can appreciate that she has this um, heartfelt relationship with Peter Banning, even though he has grown up and lost all sense of his his persona as Peter Pan.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely give you that. And I think that's one of the better parts of this film is Julia Roberts as Tink and not just Julia Roberts as Tink. But because I remember even with like with the Disney version, the whole thing with Tinkerbell not being able to talk. I never really liked Tinkerbell before because she wasn't very human. You couldn't connect with her at all. And, you know, this uh, Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell certainly is uh, you can connect much more with her as the audience. I, I completely agree.
0: Mm. Hey. But, but think about this in contrast real quick, TJ, before you, uh, you, know, I'll, I'll, you go ahead and say what you want in a second. Um, but think about that in contrast to most movies involving fantasy and fairies. And it's hard to come by this sort of characterization of, fant- uh, of fairies. I think that more often than not, they get it wrong. And so it's 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 so gratifying to see an example where they got it so right.
1: Yeah, no, I agree.
0: Okay, Go all ahead. right. What are we going to say? Who
1: to, to tie this back into last week's episode talking about Star Wars? Who do you suppose had a cameo in this film that you would not necessarily know? Ooh. I'll bet nobody listening to this knows. So, I didn't which know. Star Wars film? The first one, and the second one, and the third oh, one. Really? Yes. This person was Ooh. in all three of the original Star Wars films.
0: Okay, he's probably... She. She? she? Ooh. Okay, I was going to say it was the guy who was um, R2-D2 and... Um,
1: no, you're Ewok. way off.
0: Because, it, you know, there was a midget that played R2-D2, and he yep. also played some of the Ewoks and other characters, like Jawas. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say he may have been somebody.
1: Came- now, remember, a cameo. You'd have to be a looking cameo. hard to see this person in Hook.
0: Okay, so it's not like, not as an extra, one of the people in the crowd, but as a cameo, just making an appearance in passing.
1: In passing, seen on screen once.
0: In the okay, it's it's probably got to be Carrie Fisher. It is. Are you serious? I am serious. Why? Why was she in this movie? I have
1: no idea, and the only thing that I know is, uh, woman, she's credited as woman kissing on bridge. <laughs> Are you serious? I am. I'm completely, Carrie, and totally
0: serious. Thank you for being in this film.
1: And and then uh, I'm sure you noticed this one. Um, the, uh, the she had a bit part in this film, uh, but she played Young Wendy. Who 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 was that? Young Wendy. Young Wendy. Uh, she has been in Iron Man twice. She was in the Avengers. What? Oh yeah. Get out, Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh,
0: <laughs> Lots oh. of talent in
1: this movie. Lots of talent. That's the only reason this this movie is any good at all.
0: Uh, TJ. TJ.
1: You're just giving me more
0: reasons to love this film. <laughs>
1: uh, uh, all right. Well, we we got we got to bring this thing in for a landing.
0: Okay, well, you want to bring it in for the landing. Do you want to say any final words before you give it your rating?
1: I want to say that you despite how hard i've been on this film it's it's uh, worth it's worth watching um okay it's it's a classic and it has talented actors even, even though i quibble a little with robin williams performance and i think he's done better performances uh he's fine and obviously you should watch it because it has julia roberts and dustin hoffman and uh bob hoskins and maggie smith and gary fisher and Queth paltrow um You know, I think they overcome the bad screenplay. That doesn't make the screenplay good, but they overcome it. Uh, What are your final words?
0: uh, My final words are, I think that this film is is a great example of why Spielberg made films in the first place. Bah! It's a classic on the power of joy and imagination. I love those themes, and this film deeply portrays them. It's not very often that we get to see them evoked like quite like this. And it's just pure fun. You know, don't take it too seriously.
1: Oh, it that's is,
0: it's uh, that's it, true. It is ex- an exaggeration of what you think is even believable for most fantasies. So if you go into it expecting realism, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. But think about childlike stories. I mean, think about the kind of stories you used to make up with your action figures when you were a kid. And then think about what this film does.
1: I, I got to say, Joseph, I wouldn't put one of the stories that I used to play with my Star Trek action figures. Uh, I wouldn't put those on screen. They're pretty oh, cheesy. Oh,
0: <laughs> man. TJ. Uh, all
1: right. What no, what man. stratospheric astronomical rating are you giving this film, Joe? Um.
0: Mm. OK, well, OK, uh, I'll, I will uh, qualify it. I think that this film. <laughs> oh, no. I think that this film works for me for many of the same reasons that I think Wreck-It Ralph works as a film, as, as it just excels <sighs> as, a, as a great story, doesn't great a to watch with candle. kids.
1: Doesn't hold a candle. Doesn't hold a candle. Just fun, a uh, fun, ignore him, fun stuff. Doesn't hold a candle to Wreck-It Ralph.
0: For that reason, I think that it's just slightly better for the same reasons that Wreck-It Ralph was great. I think that this film is just slightly better than Wreck-It Ralph. And I would no. easily give it four and a half out of five stars.
1: After, even after I got you to, to agree largely with me on its weaknesses.
0: Yes. But okay. remember, uh, my biggest complaint with this film is got to be Rufio. And that said, m- what was my biggest complaint with Wreck-It Ralph? With my, my biggest complaint was most all things involving King Candy and Turbo. Uh, I, I just, don't know I, you know. I
1: thought King Candy and Turbo were perfect. But yeah. anyway
0: i like the cybugs more than all <sighs> like turbo uh,
1: okay whatever all right uh we're not talking about wreck it ralph today i give this film because of its poor screenplay um and its uh terrible execution and because of its cheesiness three out of five stars because three is still in my positive range right uh because mm-hmm. two and a half is neutral and then anything over that is in the positive range and so i mm-hmm. i think it's worth watching i just don't Rave over it the way you do. I don't think it's the best thing since sliced white bread. Oh, uh, so
0: it's the best thing since sugar. I
1: mean, are you kidding? no, not at you all. You
0: have no soul. Thank
1: okay, you, great. Thank well, you. That's Joe. a wrap. We have come, come. we cover this review full circle?
0: <laughs> we have. <laughs> okay, just so you know, people. I mean, we we actually totally forgot to mention this before. But you know why we're even talking about this old you know film that your granddaddy watched when he was a kid is because. We're covering movies for uh, favorite fun film, uh, fun futon films for February.
1: That's not alliterated at all.
0: <laughs> no, and uh, that is why we were even talking about Hook in the first place. Let's let's mention one of the original points of favorite fun futon films for February. See TJ, my rationale. Okay, TJ, I just want to know that I'm look- I want you to know I'm looking at your picture in the Skype chat as I speak to you. Oh no. this is this is heart to heart. Okay, TJ, the reason that we are talking about hook today is because we are thinking and contemplating on our favorite films, not the films that are best for all time per se, but those films that really tapped us. And so that is why I I just insisted that we cover this film. Um
1: It meant something to you. Yes, Joe. it
0: meant something to me. So, so now, of, now we uh,
1: know what's wrong with Joe.
0: Yes. So from all of me to all of you friends out there listening, now you understand me better.
1: All right. Well, there you go. Now now we understand why Joe's heart is so black. <laughs> 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 uh, no, like I said, the film is, is fine. Says so the pot. speaking of favorite fun futon films for February... Uh, we are going to be discussing the Back to the Future trilogy next week. I imagine we'll focus mostly on the first Back to the Future, which I think we can all agree is probably the best, although I like part two just as well. Part three kind of fell off the truck a little bit, but, you know, we're going to talk about it, so I'm going to watch, I'm going to attempt to watch all three films again before we see the, or before we uh, have next week's podcast, so.
0: It's going to be, it's going to be uh, quite the week.
1: Yeah, wow. well, I mean, you know.
0: Yeah. And you know what I have to do before we come to next week?
1: Oh, uh, what do you have to do?
0: I have a Star Wars marathon going
1: on, my friend. Oh, and I, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, this Saturday I already have all the Saturday booked from nine a.m. in the morning.
1: But you probably know Back to the Future well to enough, like like eleven I, at night. Like I, I could, I could probably talk about Back to the Future without watching it again if I wanted to, because I've seen these movies so many times, and these films. I'm going to like much better than Hook.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Hey, by the way, which is your least favorite?
1: Number three, by far. Ah, uh,
0: ah. Uh, uh, I see people. That's very telling. See, that's what I'm talking about. Now,
1: whether now whether one is better than two or two is better than one, I it's it's hard for me to say. I think one is probably better, maybe, but I like them both.
0: Mm. Well, we don't we don't need to even listen to your opinion in next week's episode.
1: Well, you don't tell me we're going to be having a fight next week again.
0: <laughs> no, no, we're going to get along swimmingly.
1: Okay. What are you saying? I, I'm, I'm confused. I'm completely confused. <laughs> all right. All right. You can uh, find the show notes for this episode at moviebite.com slash mbpodcast slash 31, because this is our 31st episode. Uh, if you want to follow Joe on Twitter uh, and anywhere else on the internet, Joe, how can they do? How can people do that?
0: They can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Joseph Darnell, And if you want to find me on Facebook, go to josephdarnell.com. And if you want to catch up with me in the blogosphere, because that's another little dimension I go to every now and then, my site is jivingjackalope.com, And I'm not keeping it up as much as I would like, but I'm doing my best, people. I'm a very busy guy. And uh, then I do write for movie bite believe it or not most of our good content there comes from tj draper but i try to i try to assist him but usually it's tj that pulls through
1: Yeah, so this is about you joe this is the part of the show where we talk about you now we can talk about me though uh you can follow me that
0: was that was just i was just trying to give you a great segue tj okay well
1: we can talk about me now you can find me on twitter my handle is tj draper pro uh, and that is my preferred social network. But uh, most of our action happens at Movie Byte, uh, at Facebook for Moviebyte. And so you can find me on Facebook too, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. Uh, you can find me at buzzingpixel.com. If you want to hire me to work for you, build you a website as cool as moviebyte.com, you can go to buzzingpixelcreative.com and click on hire me. Uh, mm. You can find most of my work, as Joe mentioned, at moviebyte.com. That's where I do most of my writing. I post at least a little something every day. And usually try to write a review once a week at least. So head on out there. We keep Movie Byte up every every weekday. So moviebyte.com. And that's it. Thanks for joining us.